0: On the Job with Francis
1: Leach and Sally Rugg. On the Job, the podcast all about making your working life better. My name is Francis Leach.
2: My name is Sally Rugg. And for this episode, everything I say will represent the views of my employer.
1: So <laughs> watch a, out. <laughs> breaking new territory here. How are you, Sally? And you've got Pumpkin the Cat with I'm you seeing- today.
2: Yeah, I'm recording from my bedroom and um, sitting next to me is my cat, Pumpkin, who I think we talked about last week, but he's got like an intense um, separation anxiety situation. And so he likes to be on my body at all times. (laughs) So Pumpkin, for one, is really happy about lockdown. And I imagine the pets across this continent are also feeling really happy that more than half of its citizens
1: are now in lockdown. So it's going to be one of those strange... How are
2: you going with lockdown, Francis?
1: I'm okay. I'm doing okay. It just feels weirdly familiar and a little bit tedious, isn't it? Uh, But it's interesting you bring that up. One of the sort of unknown consequences of lockdowns is going to be pet anxiety in the event that we get out of lockdown and we start to live something that sort of like approximates a normal life, whatever that is, and we leave our homes more, and our beloved animals are going to go. What are you, where are you going? What do you mean? What do you mean you're going out? What do you mean you're not taking me with yeah, you?
2: Exactly, and that's what's gotten Pumpkin into this predicament in the first place was his overbearing mother, which is me. Hey, <laughs> um, do you know what was released this week that I found? Really motivating was the um, modelling from the Doherty Institute around vaccines and a roadmap out of here.
1: What was in it that made you your heart skip a beat?
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't know about you, but like I'm very task oriented um, and I really like a plan and a goal. And I like things to have like really clear edges that quantify the mission at hand, I suppose. And so, you know, within the last week, the Prime Minister stood up and talked about this modelling from the Doherty Institute that mapped out like, right, this is how many people we need to be um, immunised and then we go to this step and then at 90% we go to this step and I love that shit like that is the the glimmer of sunshine for me because it's sort of like even though it's been catastrophic and even though this should have happened 12 months ago finally we have a plan and I have become obsessed with it. Like I want a leaderboard on how that plan is going across the country. I think it's really great.
1: Is the big challenge going to be holding uh, this particular leadership to account for any sort of plan, that there are benchmarks by which we go, okay, you said we're going to be at point A at this particular time and we're not, so why not and what are the consequences for doing that?
2: Yeah, certainly. And I don't think that is unique to this particular predicament but is rather sort of the circumstances that we live under every day of the week here but um, I, I certainly feel really motivated by it I feel really motivated by hitting 80% as our first target because that's so far off where we are now which sounds like it would be demotivating but it's really put a sort of fire under my bum in a sort of like healthy and motivating way not a sort of like oh go to the doctor quite kind of way um <laughs> Because I think it's really, uh, yeah, I think it's really motivating for people to understand like where we need to be and just how far away we are from that. I'm feeling good about it.
1: Yeah. But. As long as we can see where we've got to get to, we've got half a chance of getting there. Uh, today's episode, Sal, is all about something we've been doing for a while and that's living at home and and working alone or living alone and working at home. All of the experience that has changed for everyone who, in the working world who suddenly have found themselves working in a way that they probably never imagined that they were ever going to do in their lives. I mean, the idea of living how we are now and working how we are now was inconceivable two years ago. You couldn't have painted this picture. You couldn't have imagined all the consequences of the working world we now live in because they've sort of happened to us in... But it's unprecedented. Our generation in particular hasn't had this sort of disruption in our lives when it comes to the world of work and our personal lives in in the way that we are at the moment. And uh, it just makes for a fascinating conversation about how people have reorganized their lives, how they're managing, uh, what they've learned about themselves, and what they're looking forward to once this thing sort of passes through and we emerge on the other side, God knows, in what sort of form or shape it takes, but it'll be different again.
2: Yeah, and you're obviously completely right there because you usually are, but I think one thing I'll add is that I think it's been completely unprecedented for people who are able-bodied and have full health, but um, for people who live with a chronic illness or a disability that keeps them at home, you know, this has been life as standard for quite a while and I remember when the first lockdowns were beginning, it was actually people from chronically ill communities and disability communities who are like, hey, yeah, we we get it and let us share some tips with you. But on the whole, like, you're completely right, of course, that for an entire population, either to have to stay at home or to have to do their normal jobs, whether that be in service delivery or goods delivery or anything else, and do that at this heightened risk, it's completely different.
1: Well, we're going to meet two people now, good friends of the union movement and uh, and people who are working at home, living alone, and talking to them about their, the way they're navigating all of this in just a moment. Michelle Myers works for one of Australia's finest unions, the Maritime Union of Australia, the MUA, and good friend Damien Smith, a good friend of mine, who uh, is a consultant to a number of tech startups and has been involved in the union movement for a long time as well. He's going to... Join us on the other side of this to talk about living at home and working alone.
0: On the Job with Francis Leach and Sally Rung.
1: On the Job, the podcast, all about making your working life better. So we're all at home, we're all trying to work, no longer going into the office, bustling on a train, or cycling in amongst the traffic. We are stuck at home doing what we need to do. So we thought we'd talk about that. Michelle Myers is with us. Michelle uh, works for the MUA, uh, the uh, Maritime Union of Australia. Uh, Pretty hard to uh, go out and talk to people on ships when you're stuck in your lounge room, but she's doing her best anyway. And Damien Smith uh, has been a a good friend of mine for a very long time. He's a consultant to a number of tech startups and he's got the same sort of problem. Can't go out and meet people and uh, dream big dreams when you're stuck at home. Michelle, welcome. Hey, how are you going? Damien, welcome to our little podcast. G'day, Francis and Sally. Thanks for having me.
2: Thanks for being here.
1: I want to check first up footwear. Check: Is anyone actually wearing shoes with laces in them at home, or are we just in moccasins and runners?
0: Michelle, <gasps> no, no, I have shoes on with laces. I've got my joggers on, so I pretend I'm actually going to go for a walk or do something. What's this? Um, what's
3: this shoes business of which you speak? <laughs> it's been a while, Damien. I, I'm getting a bit hobbit-like. You know, I've been looking down at the hairy feet, going, "Yeah, I, I need to do something about that." No, I, I've actually – I hit a low the other night when I was wearing – I realised I'd been wearing slippers for about six hours. So I thought, oh, my God, it's come to this.
2: So I've gotten on to the recent resurgent fashion trend, is what I like to call it, of wearing Crocs. You know those rubber Crocs that was sort of like a huge mistake that many people made 15 years ago, briefly? They're back on my feet.
3: Apparently some people are continuing to make that mistake. (laughs) Yeah, it's still a huge mistake.
2: Look, like (laughs) it's a lot. It's quite a bold statement, particularly when I forget and wear them out of the house. But let me tell you, like a pair of socks and your feet slipped into these like squishy rubber things around the house. It's one of the only things keeping me together right now. I recommend it. Crocs with socks. (laughs)
1: <laughs> this is what we've come to in, in this strange COVID age. Michelle, how, how have you adjusted to working at home and living alone? Would you give us a bit of a, a helicopter view of what life is like for you at the moment.
0: It's really weird space. Um, I think – I mean, I'm, I like my own company, so that's a good thing. I mean, that's a good start. But – it does get to you and it's just, I mean, I find that you've got to actually try and really, really hard to have a routine and do some things. I mean, 11 a.m. press conference with Gladys Berejiklian is when I get on the treadmill now. So it's, you know, you've got to have these, these moments that sort of define your day, otherwise you just wouldn't get dressed or, you know, but the days just merge into one and it just gets all a bit mad, doesn't it? It's just strange, really strange.
1: How about for you, Damien? Yeah, look,
0: you know, I think the challenge I've sort of
3: had is that Particularly given that a lot of my work, you know, has always been remote, and you know, dealing with multiple companies and rarely being spending a lot of time in their offices, it does get really easy to allow the day to run much later. Saying I'll take a break here and work a bit later, and, and that's fun for a while, but suddenly you realise, oh, it's ten o'clock at night and I'm working. I probably shouldn't be doing this. So I think the absence of um, clearer boundaries when you know that the day is over and the people have gone, or it's seductive but um, it's is—it's a bit dangerously seductive. Mm.
2: I really love that habit of getting on the treadmill when Gladys is up or when Dan is up in our state. I don't know about you guys, but I watch those press conferences every single day and I'm not sure if they are a good lockdown habit or a bad lockdown habit. Like, oftentimes it's quite relevant to my job. Other times I just think I'm addicted to the drama. But I think it makes sense to, like, do some exercise while you watch.
0: Yeah, I think I've had to. I mean, otherwise I don't think I would do it any other time because you just get consumed with work. But we've got to watch it, obviously, to make sure uh, that the restrictions aren't changing, which they have been daily, um, you know, still not strict enough and didn't happen soon enough in New South Wales. But, yeah, we need to know so for our members and, and for the purposes of people getting to work and helping them with their jobs. So. That's why I watch it, but it's certainly better on the treadmill. (laughs) Get a bit of exercise.
1: Damien, how about for you in terms of that sort of routine, building that routine in there so you've got that outlet that you know you're not just going to spend 48 hours at home in in your own place because that's easy enough to do? What are you doing to make sure you put a boundary around that for yourself?
3: Yeah, look, one one little trick is just being disciplined about putting self-appointments in the calendar. You know, I think putting your own appointments in, saying, okay, Between here and here, I am going to go for a walk. Between here and here, I am actually going to read. It feels kind of silly saying, oh, the calendar's told me to go and read. I will go and read. But those little tricks do seem to help and and I guess remove some of the discretion about either keep working or just a bit lazy. It kind of forces me to at least think it through and say, okay, well, I've now got a choice. Am I actually going to get off my backside and go for a walk or, or go up and pick up a book? Um, So, yeah, look, I've tried that simple technique and, you know, that's been reasonably effective.
2: And, Michelle, how are your members going? You mentioned them. What's the overall feeling?
0: I guess it's not so much lockdown in New South Wales or anything like that that is the biggest issue. I mean, we've been dealing with this since January 2020. Uh, We've got seafarers that haven't been able to cross borders and get to ships. I've had members in Queensland that have just packed up their whole house and moved to WA because they never thought they'd be able to work again. You know, I've got members in the Bass Strait that can't get just over the border in New South Wales. To where they live in Albury. You know, it's just absurd and it's been going for so long. So, yeah, but New South Wales lockdown was a little bit difficult. You know, I think they announced on the Saturday that the eight LGAs or whatever, you could no longer travel um, and maritime workers weren't included in the exempted list for the first 24 hours until we had to meet with the government to, to say, look, these guys have got to get to work, otherwise your ships and your ports stop. Um, you know, it's just really, it has been really difficult. It's really stressful on the members because they don't know what's going on, you know, and they've now got to have COVID tests every three days, all this sort of thing. It's just, um, yeah, it's horrific, but... You know, it's the world we live in now, but um, we're doing our best.
2: And are there any exemptions or conditions or any changes that the Maritime Union is currently lobbying for or... or hoping for for its members?
0: Yeah, there's there's been some since January last year. I mean, in March, we were warning about the gaping holes in the ports, you know, and then Ruby Princess. Oh, I guess we we're right. Oh, um, awful. But, you know, the, you know things, I know the things that are, you know, kind of serious is that the port workers are on the front line, same as aviation workers. We've got foreign ships coming in with foreign crew on them that have been all over the world. We want those foreign crew to be tested and we want them to be treated if they've got COVID, and we want them to get a vaccine. Uh, The government, the federal government's rejected vaccinating foreign crew at the moment, but this is the front line of our our borders. This is our biosecurity defence, and we want to make sure that those seafarers are looked after, just as we would expect any Australian citizen to be looked after.
1: Damien, can I ask you about how you deal with the news and the information? Because it's easy enough now, we've all talked about this, you go and watch the press conference, that can be an hour of your day, then you'll flick over to some commentary, and then you might read a column, or you get on your Twitter feed and you sort of death scroll through that and you start to get obsessed with what people are saying and you know what opinion makers are saying about what's going on how do you make sure that you can snap out of that and and not be drawn into that world and just get lost in recrimination and anger about what's happening look
3: interestingly that's where i've found work a bit of a savior you know for my sins i'm what passes for old with a lot of the companies that i work with and so there is i guess A requirement to almost have a little bit of perspective on some numbers. You know, I'm dealing with people for whom the daily change in numbers is everything they care about. And I'm, you know, needing to say to them, look, don't overreact to yesterday good, today bad. And more to the point, if we think the company is building the right products, let's stick to that and not jump around short term. So I think if I weren't doing that for a living and pretending to be old and wise, I think I'd probably fall into that trap. Um, thankfully having people who I provide some guidance to actually helps me get out of myself and actually have to provide a little bit of perspective.
1: And you, Michelle, do you find that as well? Oh no, it's your job in a way to be locked into the mainframe of the news, but also from a personal level, living alone and and you know, not wanting to sort of like just be absorbed by that as your main focus. How do you make sure that you put a boundary around that?
0: I think you've just got to switch it off. You have to just go back and like what Damien said, you've got to go and just, you know, continue on and do the work that you've got to do and switch it off. There's certain people that you'll find very quickly you need to mute on Twitter. Um, You just need to stop seeing what they're saying because, yeah, it's just, yeah, it doesn't help anyone. (laughs) I Um, thought
2: you were going to say, you'll notice very early on that there are certain people that you need to mute on Zoom meetings and I was going to be like, oh, yeah, I feel that. (laughs)
0: there's certainly that too Sally there is certainly that too we thought Zoom was great last year so not anymore
2: yeah I mean I've had several incidences on Zoom the worst is when you think that you're muted and for me it's always sort of like in a not a super serious meeting but a sort of like professional setting i'll realize i'm not muted and start sort of talking in a tiny baby voice to one of my cats <laughs> like <laughs> which is always sort of like you know my team will be like are you okay sally <laughs>
1: So what you're saying is the unmuted Zoom call is now the accidental reply-all.
3: Oh, my goodness. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) What do they call it in journalism? Is that um, the hot mic? That's it. Yeah, I've had the opposite. I've had a bunch of um, cold mic incidents where I've just been blurting away while on mute and people have just been trying to attract my attention and I've literally just been flapping my gums (laughs) with literally no sound coming out until I've realised, oh, that brilliantly constructed three sentences of mine went nowhere and now I can't remember it. <laughs> Some of your best work's on mute. Exactly. Some of my best work. <laughs> di- di- and yeah, if I said a smart sentence and it was on mute, did it ever really happen?
2: Yeah. Your <laughs> colleagues are sitting around saying, wow, we're really happy for you, Damien, or we're very
3: sorry that happened. Yeah, I'm waiting for the translators, exactly, the sign translators to, to come in for me at that point. <laughs>
1: Well, we've got to say the sign translators have been some of the stars of the pandemic. Legends, incredible job! They do an amazing job, and they come in all sorts of shapes and sizes and uh, expressions. Like some of them are incredibly animated, and you go, you end up not really knowing what they're saying with their hands, but you're listening to whichever talking head is talking. But I'm watching he or she with hands and voice and face, and going, "That's awesome."
0: I don't know how they do, Brad Hazard. I
1: really don't. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> 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 he'd be tough he'd be tough to follow
2: the interesting thing about well one of the many interesting things about um Auslan sign language and I don't know if this is the case for you know sign language from other countries and backgrounds so people you know feel free to correct me on this one but um with Auslan people are Get their own name, like you—the you, sign for what your name is. People give that to you, so like someone would have to sort of say what Sally Rugg is. Although it would just be a sort of like the sign for what what I am, and I think that's like really nice and. Yeah, it's not like everybody called Rebecca has the same sign, like individual people have the different sign that is their name. And I don't know what Brad Hazard's is, but I would be eager to learn.
1: <laughs> is it just a, a shrug and a sort of like
0: a raised eyebrow? We've got a few names for him too.
3: I think an, a, an overused sporting metaphor probably. That seems to be the go, go for the week. <laughs>
1: Now, can I, can I can I ask you about the other stuff, the good stuff of work that we're not having? So whether it's going for a beer after work with your mates or, you know, having a laugh in the office or all of those things or being out on a job and, and being out in the open and enjoying those environments safe, Michelle, that you, you would um, working with the MUA, for instance. What are you missing the most about the external world of work, Michelle, that, that you don't have at the moment?
0: Definitely the pubs. Definitely going for a drink in the pubs and traveling. I mean, we would normally, well, people used to think I lived in Melbourne. I was down there that often. And just meeting people and having big group meetings and then going to the pub afterwards and solving all the problems of the world over a Jack Daniels. That's what I miss the most probably. My cats don't like Jack Daniels. It's very boring here.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Damien? Uh, Look, yeah, I think I'm involved in a couple of um, recruitments at the moment, trying to hire a couple of senior people. and. You know, I've just realized how astonishingly hard it is to get to know someone purely over Zoom. So I you know, I, I get involved a lot in recruitment and there's a lot of things you can learn on paper and there's a lot of things you can learn from a Zoom chat. But the idea that I can't go for go for a cup of coffee with someone and just sit with them for an hour or so over a cup of coffee. And find out a little bit more about them as a person. That actually troubles me. Um, you know, I'm really struggling with a couple of recruitment roles at the moment because I, I just don't feel like I'm getting to know these people. So yeah, I really, really miss that. I just, you know, I'm a big believer in nine times out of ten, there's a, most problems can be solved if you go and have a cup of coffee and have a chat, and not a meeting, not something formal. Just let's go and have a chat. Let's talk like two people. And I don't feel like I'm getting the chance to do that. So that I really miss. Yep. And, uh, and and not so much the Jack Daniels, but yes, certainly a beer.
1: <laughs> Can I also ask about home life when it comes to preparing the end of the day and your leisure time? How do you demarcate that, Damien? What do you do? Because I found at the start of my, my first lockdown that the way that we would demarcate it was you would have a beer, like you know, on a Monday night. That, mm. that was that was because you couldn't go out, and remember, we were mm. under curfew as well uh, for the first time. Mm. You just were stuck at home, so the way that you ended up demarcating it was like it's you know it's beer o'clock, which is kind of nice. Once or twice a week is probably okay, but we ended up doing it nearly every night, which isn't great. But that was the way that we sort of made sense that the day ended and we put a full stop on the day so that we didn't just keep working through. Have you got rules around how you're doing that?
3: Yeah, five o'clock walk, unless someone absolutely has to have a meeting, five o'clock walk seems to be the best rule I've got. It's sunset. And look, you know, Sydney in winter is not exactly the hardship posting. So five o'clock is the sun setting in Sydney is a really nice time to go for a walk. So that's kind of the, the hard and fast rule. My informal rule, and this is this is a sign of just how low I've got. It's not crocs low, to be fair. I mean, I actually think socks and crocs is is a low point, but my my <laughs> um no, my You my,
2: my, wait, give it oh, a week. You'll oh, be in. Oh dear,
3: oh dear. My awful moment is that I have um, two separate choices now of elasticated wear. You know, I have slightly more formal trackies and really informal trackies. And <laughs> I swapped, the informal trackie, I swapped the formal trackies for the informal trackies at about 6 o'clock. So 6 o'clock, the Kmart trackies come out and that actually seems to signify that the day is over. But I must say I actually haven't worn things that weren't elasticated. It's now six weeks and I'm thinking every day I say this can't go on. Every day is the day that I'm going to get out of elastic and wear something that actually doesn't you know has a button and, and every day I eh, it can wait it can wait till tomorrow
2: damien i i was once you i was what like i was you this time last year and we stayed in lockdown for three months and now i'm in socks and crocs all i'm saying is do not judge people for being slightly further down the line because you are on that pathway my friend <laughs>
3: Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Well, actually, yesterday, <laughs> my earworm yesterday, I, was, I felt I was being mocked by FM radio because I was at a quick drive in the morning to go and get some stuff and the FM station um, blasted out, ZZ Top, sharp-dressed man. And I thought, well, I'm literally being mocked by an FM radio station here. It has been now two months since anyone could even vaguely describe me as a sharp-dressed man, and it's going to be a while longer. But, Francis and Sally, my commitment to your listeners is that if, if I descend to socks and jo- uh, socks and Crocs, I will send a photo.
1: <laughs> we will we will wait with Beta breath. What about you, Michelle? How are you demarcating the end of the day?
0: No socks and Crocs ever. <laughs> We've got funny hours because of time zones and across Australia and we also work internationally with seafarers as well, so I guess my hours have always gone quite late into the night. But at the moment I'm exactly, I'm the same all day. I'm the same. Everything's the same. Um, I feel really bad. This week's a sitting week in parliament. We had a bunch of Zoom meetings with um, MPs and I was probably wearing the same top as I'm wearing today for the last three days. But, you know, I wasn't dressing. You know, normally you'd be down in Parliament House in a suit and proper hair done and the whole bit. And I just felt so
1: ashamed of myself, actually, for a moment. But what's the point, really? They'll get over it. <laughs> <laughs> Bigger things to worry about. just want to finish on, on optimistic are, are you optimistic about... The end of the year. And what are you looking forward to the most? We'll start with you, Michelle. Coming out of the other (laughs) side of this, what what are you looking forward to the most?
0: Uh, I'm looking forward to people's jobs being back to normal and people's lives not being so insecure and so vulnerable. And I just want workers to be able to get back to work and be paid properly and, and not have fear of coming into contact with the public like our ferry workers do. And I just want all that to stop. I want people to be able to get to their jobs and earn a decent living and have a decent life.
1: And Damien? Yeah, look,
3: absolutely. I think that's, you know, the, the last couple of months in particular, possibly even more than last year, There's there's much more of a sense of fear right now and I guess that makes sense with how much more infectious the Delta variant's proving to be. You know, it would be really, really nice for people not to be afraid. I think it's very hard for people to live a full life whether it's at work or at home when they're scared and there's a lot of people more scared right now than you'd want to be so yeah it would be lovely to see the sun shining in summer and most people vaccinated and people not feeling afraid
1: and people getting into socks and crocs and putting on a pair of pants with a button and a shirt
3: it's a beautiful (laughs) combo it's 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 a fashionable combo
1: the post-covid look
2: before we go Michelle, how can union members who are working from home, what what can we do to support our fellow union members and also just fellow workers who are still out delivering our parcels and stocking our supermarket shelves and driving us around and, uh, you know, working in our hospitals? What can we do to support those workers who aren't stuck at home?
0: Oh, just be kind, be nice to those workers. You know, I've got people on Sydney Harbour that are moving ferries around, you know, and they've got to come in in contact with the public, you know, supermarket workers, the delivery people, put your mask on before you open your door, you know, wear your mask, do your QR code, check in, do everything they ask you because they're going to work every day so that you can go and get your stuff or go to, you know, get to places that you need to go to. So I just think be kind and just remember that they've got to do something that you don't have to right now.
1: Really wise words, Michelle. Thank you so much. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you for being with us. Enjoy your weekend and time with the Cats weekend. Oh, two
3: more
1: days at home. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> Damien Smith, thank you so much for being with us as well and uh, we'll, we'll catch you again soon once you're a sharp-dressed man once again. Thanks Sally. Thanks, thanks, thanks very much. much. Thanks Francis. Thanks Sally. Damien Smith and uh, Michelle Myers there, Our two guests on the job this weekend, living alone and working from home. That's it for this edition of On The Job. Francis Leach and Sally Rugg wishing you another great week. We'll catch you again for next week's podcast. Don't forget to give us a rating on iTunes or whichever platform you use. Right. A review helps other people find uh, the information and the inspiration, and we'll catch you next week on the job.